الحمد لله الحمد لله وكفى والصلاة والسلام على عباده الذين اصطفى أما بعد فأعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم يا أيها الذين آمنوا لا تقدموا بين يدي الله ورسوله واتقوا الله إن الله سميع عليم وقال النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم ألا أخبركم بأفضل من درجة الصلاة والصيام والصدقة قالوا بلا يا رسول الله قال إصلاح ذات البين فإن فساد ذات البين الحالقة أو كما قال النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم Most respected mothers and sisters One of the surahs of the Quran Sharif is termed as Surah Hujurat. The Surah has been named Hujurat after the mention in the Surah of the Hujurat, the apartments, the rooms, the apartments of the Azwaja Mutahharat. So on that note, this has been named the Surah. But the surah contains numerous lessons. Now, the Azwaja Mutaharat, their apartments, these are the homes. And the homes are the center of social life. Social life in the sense of interacting with one another. And this is where the most intense interaction takes place between people in one home. They have to interact as spouses, interact as parents and children, interact as between siblings, between brothers and sisters. Many a times, we interact in a very, very cordial manner, in a very pleasant way with people outside. But when it comes to inside, it is a very different story. So therefore, this is very pertinent. It's pertinent not only for what is necessary to maintain that peace within a household, but how to maintain the peace in society as a whole. This surah contains some very fundamental lessons related to this topic of social life. And everything in the Quran Sharif is there for our hidayat. And Allah Ta'ala wants the best for us. Allah Ta'ala wants us to be safe from all harm. Allah Ta'ala wants that we should enjoy a peaceful, a happy life. And therefore Allah Ta'ala has given us the prescription for these, these things. Allah Ta'ala says that the one who with iman and righteous actions, whoever it might be, whether it is male or female, we will give them a good life. Hayatan That is a different subject on its own. But Allah Ta'ala wants to give us this good life. But dunya is a place of means, the type of means we adopt that is what we will be able to receive. A person lights a fire, he feels the heat, and if he puts his hand in the fire, he gets burnt, and he switches the air conditioner on, he starts feeling cool, and if he switches it off, it starts getting hot again. These are all the means he eats, he gets filled. So dunya is a place of means. If we adopt the means of peace, the means of happiness, the means of mutual cooperation that the Quran Sharif has spelt out for us, 
then there would not be any problem. And if anything does occur sometimes, it would very easily be resolved. So this is what we need to focus on. And inshallah, in the short time that we have, we will be dealing with a few of the messages that are contained in the surah. The first message that we will deal with in the surah Allah Ta'ala mentions that Ya ayuhal ladheena amanu la tuqaddimu bayna yaday Allahi wa rasoolihi wa attaqullah inna allaha sami'un alim that all you who believe do not proceed ahead of Allah and his Rasul sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and fear Allah Ta'ala Allah Ta'ala is all hearing, all knowing. Just to understand this ayat it would have been very useful to go into the details of the shan nuzul what is referred to as the shan nuzul the occasion on which this ayat was revealed, etc. But just to very briefly touch on it, that there was some discussion, and before Rasulullah could say something, some Sahaba already started giving some suggestion. Whereas they should have waited for Nabi to ask for their suggestion. Now this was a training period, and some of these things happened in the early times that the Sahaba were put through these paces and in this way the lessons were given by Rasulullah some ayat were revealed that taught them the lesson, taught the whole Ummah till Qiyamah the lesson. So this is something that happened nevertheless and they were then taught and it never, never occurred again. So some Sahaba started already discussing between themselves and already giving some kind of suggestions. Allah Ta'ala revealed this ayat that don't jump the gun wait until you are told or you are asked for your suggestion then by all means you may give your suggestion in a respectable manner but nevertheless the crux of the lesson from here the lesson the lesson is the lesson of adab and this is a very fundamental lesson of deen a very important very fundamental lesson of deen and this is not just a lesson, many things are understood as the finishings. Like you have a house and then you have the finishings. The finishings are extras and if it's there, it makes it more comfortable, it makes it more pleasant and more enjoyable. And if it's not there, life will still carry on. But some things are the actual structure, part of the actual structure. Adab is not just part of the finishing. Adab goes right through into the structure itself. And if Adab is completely lost, it could destroy the structure of Deen. This is a very, very important aspect that is being taught to us, the aspect of Adab. In the case of Rasulullah obviously the highest level of Adab was necessary, being the most beloved of Allah Taala. But by extension, Though nobody else is on that level, but nevertheless, we are to give respect to the seniors, to the elders, whether they may be family elders, whether they may be dini elders. But this is the lesson we learn from this ayat. Because Nabi Wasallam was the elder in every regard. And for somebody to have spoken before him was disrespect. But they were now being taught this was a lesson and it never happened again. But the lesson is being taught that not to disregard one's seniors, one elder, one's elders, and to always give them the correct respect to show that other that is necessary. So this is 
the lesson that we have to apply. If you look in the lives of the Sahaba Ikram, in fact, from the example of Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam, once Nabi sallallahu alaihi wasallam observed Hazrat Abu Darda radiallahu taala that he is walking a little ahead of Abu Bakr radiallahu taala. Nabi sallallahu alaihi wasallam saw him. He cautioned him, and he said to him, "Are you walking in front of a person who is better than you?" And then he said that the sun hasn't risen or set upon anybody better than Abu Bakr, meaning anybody after the Ambiya Ali Musallat Wasallam, because that's a known fact that the Ambiya Ali Musallat Wasallam are the greatest. But nobody thereafter was a greater personality than Abu Bakr radiallahu taala. Now Nabi sallallahu alaihi wasallam cautioned him that you should not walk ahead; you should walk behind him. He is a person who is more. Greater than you, senior to you, you should respect this. You should observe this etiquette. Likewise, on one occasion, something happened, and two Sahaba they came to relate the incident to Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam. They were brothers, Muhayyisa and Huwayyisa radhiyallahu an. Now, both of them came along. It happened that the younger brother, he was present at the scene. The elder brother came along, but the younger brother started speaking. So as soon as he started speaking, Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam taught them this etiquette, and by saying "kabir, kabir," he cautioned the younger brother, saying that you should not be the one speaking first. You are the younger person, so allow the elder brother to speak first. So now we might say, but the elder brother wasn't there; he wasn't at the scene. But that is the point that he wasn't at the scene, but he should do the introduction. That uh, this is what happened, and my brother was there. He will now explain. So that is what Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam was giving this message by saying "kabir, kabir," and he repeated it. He didn't say it once. Let the elder one speak first. So the elder brother spoke first, and then the younger one continued. Now, outwardly, it's just one incident, but it's not just one incident. Every incident out of these incidents teaches us a deep lesson that this is the etiquette, this is how the matter should be conducted, that we give preference to the elders and the seniors. Once Hazrat Abu Hurairah radiallahu taala anhu, he saw two people together, so he asked the one person, "Who is the other person to you?" So the person replied, "This is my father." Buhrira رضي الله تعالى عنه. He then advised the person. He said, "Look, if he's your father, then do not ever refer to him by his name. In other words, you call him by a title of respect. Person will call somebody Abba. He will call him whatever title of respect, but you don't ever refer to him by his name. Don't walk ahead of him. You walk behind him. Don't sit before him. Now, if the situation comes about where everybody is going to now be taking a seat." Then you wait for him to take a seat first. Then you take a seat. Now, what is being taught in all these incidents? The aspect of adab, respect, etiquette. So, it's a father and son. The respect will be maintained. If it is two brothers, the respect will be maintained by the younger giving the due respect to the senior. So, the same applies to mother and daughter. The same applies to sisters. That the elder sister should be given that due respect and that regard, 
So this is a very fundamental aspect in deen. And now when these etiquettes are observed, it creates a very positive feeling, a positive understanding. And everybody uh, realizes that this is the way things are to be done correctly. That brings about peace, it brings about happiness. So this is one very important aspect, the aspect of this adab. Then going on along with this adab, in the next ayat Allah Ta'ala further advises the Sahaba Ikram and then by extension the entire ummah that Ya ayyuhal ladheena amanu la tarfa'u aswatakum fawqa sawtin nabi O you who believe, don't raise your voices above the voice of the Nabi of Allah Tabaraka wa Ta'ala and wala tajharu lahu bilqawl ka jahri ba'dikum li ba'd and do not be loud when speaking to him like how you are loud with one another you call out and shout out to one another and think nothing about it. Between yourselves it's fine. But don't talk to Rasulullah in this manner. That you are raising your voice. You are loud. Don't do this. Now this was in the lifetime of Rasulullah The Sahaba then began observing this etiquette very very diligently. But then after the passing on of Rasulullah The same etiquette applies in the presence of his Rawza Mubarak that one should not be raising one's voice there one should be showing utmost uh, respect not be doing anything that will be against the dictates of the respect of Rasulullah the kind of respect that was shown to him in his Mubarak life is the type of respect that must be shown to him even now so that is the respect for the Zad and for the personality and the person of Rasulullah. But now that Nabi has left this dunya, it doesn't mean that this instruction doesn't apply anymore. It still applies. One is it applies to the Rawza Mubarak, as we mentioned. Then it re- applies for the Mubarak words of Rasulullah. Sometimes there's a talim taking place, the talim at home, which should be conducted regularly. It's a very important part of the for the, for the dini guidance of our entire household, we should be keeping up with the daily talim of the Fazail Kitabs. But now what is this talim all about? It's filled with the ahadith of Rasulullah and then the explanations of those ahadith. So it's primarily the ahadith of Rasulullah So the respect for Rasulullah extends to his Mubarak words as well. So that talim now should be listened to attentively there shouldn't be that now somebody is sitting there in the talim and he's doing his own things. Somebody is inattentive, doing something else, playing with their phone or talking to somebody on the side. No, it requires that respect. So you give it the respect that is necessary. So all this is part of this etiquette. Then further in this ayat, Allah Ta'ala says that don't raise your voice now first is the etiquette being taught and then Allah Ta'ala sounds a very severe warning that beware that if you don't abide by this etiquette it might result in all your a'mal being nullified that this wrong step that might be taken this disrespect that might get shown, this etiquette might get omitted, it would re- result in all your a'mal being nullified. 
you won't even realize what happened. You will not even be aware that what happened. You will carry on like nothing happened. But a lot has happened. Now, in this ayat Allah Ta'ala is warning that all your a'mal will be nullified. The Mufassirin explain that a'mal is general. So this will include even the amal of iman. Iman is the greatest amal. So this is a very, very serious warning. Now one is that if a person was disrespectful directly to Rasulullah then that would even nullify his iman. If this was done deliberately, willfully, then this was very dangerous. But if somebody has done some act of disrespect to some elder, to some senior of deen in this day and age, so obviously we won't say that by being disrespectful his iman got nullified. Yes, it's a terrible thing that he has done, very major thing that he has done, but we won't say that his iman is nullified. But this ayat, what does this ayat then mean? The Mufassirin explain that this, what he's referring to, is that disrespect opens the door towards deviation. When a person is disrespectful, it starts bringing blockages. Disrespect brings blockages. Sometimes a person, mashallah, is very punctual with his amal. Somebody might be even making tahajjud salah, they're making tilawat daily, they're making a lot of tasbihat, zikr, and ta'aleem, and so many other good things they are doing. Alhamdulillah, everything is going well. And suddenly things start taking a turnaround. Often what happens, or what is, the, what is the reason for this? In many instances, there was some disrespect somewhere. Often this is the, the source of the turnaround. That some disrespect took place. Now the person got, became mahroom and deprived of the tahajjud salah as a result of that disrespect. Now the tahajjud went. After a while now the tahajjud went, then the sunnahs also started going. The tasbihat and tilawat went. Then in the case of a man now, then the namaz with jamaat will stop. And then soon that namaz in time also will be squeezed in the last bit of time. Then suddenly the namaz is becoming qaza. And now as there is a, uh, there's a drop and retrogression in one's amal, in the righteous deeds. So there's no such thing as a vacuum. When the righteous deeds go, they start getting filled up with the opposite. Often you will find when Tilawat has gone, in many homes previously, I'm talking about many years back, 25, 30 years back, maybe a little bit more, 35 years back, this was a very common thing that in the homes at night, in the evenings, in the mornings, you could hear the sound of Tilawat coming from homes. Right through. I remember in my childhood days, you came out of the house in the morning, you heard from the neighbor's houses also tilawat. In the evenings also you'd hear some tilawat. It was a common thing. Very common. You'd pass somebody's shop if he's not busy because there's no customers. He's sitting and making tilawat of the Quran Sharif. This was a common sight. But as time went, the tilawat started dropping. What took its place? So now social media took its place. The television took its place. All kinds of other khurafat and vices took its place. Now when the good stopped, it doesn't remain in neutral. There's no neutral gear here. Either a person is moving forward or is moving backwards. 
the moving backwards also happens very gradually, very subtly. One doesn't realize what happened. As Allah Ta'ala is saying in this ayat, وَأَنْتُمْ لَا تَشْعُرُونَ One doesn't even realize, wait, what's going on? But then when the eyes open, it's sometimes too late. So it starts off with some disrespect. So now when the good amal stopped, it starts filling up with the wrong things. So, so a lot of vices start off. Now the person was reading Quran Sharif at night and going to sleep. Now he got caught up on social media. So now he's sleeping at one o'clock in the morning. Now he's watching YouTube and whatnot. So he's going to sleep one o'clock in the morning. So his fajr is qaza. So now it started off by missing Isha. Now his fajr is gone or whatever else happens. One thing leads to another. And now as these sins start piling up, Allah forbid, a time comes when he then does something of such a nature that it renders his iman null and void. And he doesn't even realize it. But it started off on a very gradual note. It's not that it happened overnight. So what the starting point was, disrespect. Disrespect created a blockage. And if the person made amends, realized the problem, when sorted, sorted it out, he made toba, istighfar, made amends for that disrespect, then inshallah that blockage will be out also. But he did not make amends. He did not make toba, istighfar. So that blockage got worse. Now a person... Sometimes he's walking fine, everything seems perfect, but there's already a blockage that is taking place in some artery. But he's not even aware of it. He says everything is fine. And once in a while, sometimes there's some little bit of angina, some little pain. He thinks, well, no, maybe some gas or something. And he ignores it and carries on. Suddenly now that blockage is getting worse. And then there's a full-blown heart attack. Now only it's realized that this blockage started off long time. It didn't start off yesterday. But it became worse over time and now it created a full-blown heart attack. And then sometimes that heart attack is fatal. The person is gone instantly. So the same thing applies here that the disrespect starts off on some note and it starts creating a blockage and that blockage starts getting worse and before a person realizes it, it's gone too far and too deep. So this respect, as we said right at the beginning, is not just to do with the finishing. No, this is very much integrated with the structure. And take the aspect of adab out, the structure will start collapsing. So this is the one aspect that we need to be conscious about. Then together with this, there are sometimes, as we understood, the respect for the senior of uh, the respect for the seniors of Deen, the ulama Kiram, the Mashaykh, uh, in this field and this sphere. There would be differences of views. What we are obliged to do is to inquire from one senior who we have confidence in, who we have that trust in, and whose knowledge we are, in the light of the experience of people, we are confident that his knowledge is very sound, and is somebody steadfast on deen. So we ask that one person, all our Messiah, and take the guidance and direction from him, and carry on. We would not be questioned on the day of Qiyamah thereafter that why we did not go and research the matter further because we don't have that ability to go and research it further. Our requirement and our responsibility is Ask the people of knowledge if you don't have the knowledge. So we do what is necessary upon us. We decide we don't go fatwa shopping thereafter and see what suits us. We decide on the personality. And then we stick to that. Then whether something suits us or doesn't suit us, 
then we still continue with it. From taking the direction and guidance from the same place that we have decided that this is the right place for me, I have the confidence, this person's knowledge is very sound, and in the light of the endorsement he has received from his elders, and he's a person who is steadfast on sunnah, then we have done our responsibility. We have done our duty. Our responsibility is to do this much. Then we totally refrain from disrespecting any ulama. This can become very dangerous for our deen. It could be very possible that the person who we are disagreeing with, that person is on error. Very possible. But regardless of that, to start off with, at our level, we have no idea of the depth of things. So we cannot even get into that level of we becoming the judge and arbiter. Because to be the judge, you have to have greater knowledge. You have to have thorough knowledge. So what knowledge do we have to be sitting in judgment? We don't have that knowledge. So we don't have that knowledge, we don't sit in judgment. Yes, we take direction from one source. Then we follow that with respect and we carry on. The rest of it, we leave it to Allah Ta'ala. We are not on that caliber, on that level to get into those issues. But the thing to always be very, very cautious and careful about that our tongue doesn't utter anything disrespectful about anybody. We don't get into comparisons. We fulfill our responsibility and we move on. Allah Ta'ala will question us about whether we fulfilled our responsibility, not whether we commented on somebody else. Commenting on somebody else, that is not our responsibility. We won't be asked about that on the day of Qiyamah also. So therefore, we need to continue in this manner and inshallah we'll find that we will go safely across. Then to take it further, in this ayat we mentioned about raising one's voice, just to quickly touch on one incident that happened here, that when this ayat of the Quran Sharif was revealed, لا ترفعوا أسواتكم فوق صوت النبي There was one Sahabi, Thabit bin Qais, radiallahu ta'ala and he was a person whose voice was naturally loud. He used to speak at, as we would say, a normal tone, but his normal tone was much louder. So everybody's voice box is not at the same volume. It's all set preset. Somebody's voice box is preset at 2 out of 10. The volume goes from 1 to 10. So somebody's voice box is set at 2 out of 10. Somebody's is set at 5 out of 10. And then somebody is a natural loudspeaker. So he speaks loudly. But that's now something that's natural now. He's not, he's not raising his voice. He's talking at his natural voice. Now this Sahabi's natural voice was loud. Much louder than everybody else. When he heard about this ayat being revealed, he just secluded himself in his house. Rasulullah noticed his absence and he asked somebody that what has happened to Sahabit? So any case, just to get to the crux of it, somebody went, they asked him, why are you not around? Nabi Islam is asking about you. So he says, I'm in trouble. I'm in big trouble. What's the problem? What's your trouble? He says, you know my voice. Now his voice was naturally loud. So he says, if I'm going to speak to Nabi Islam, I will be speaking at my natural tone. But it's going to be louder than him. So Allah Ta'ala has warned that if you raise your voice above the voice of Rasulullah then all your amal will be destroyed. So I'm Anamin Ahlin Nar. 
So he said that this is, I, I'm very afraid. If I come and I, something I'm going to ask or say, I'll end up in, a, in Jahannam, Allah forbid. The Sahabi comes to Rasulullah and he puts forward this situation that this is why Sabit is not around. He is very afraid. He secluded himself in his house out of fear that he must not utter one word in your presence and that might just be louder than your voice and he would be destroyed. Nabi Salaam said, go back to him and tell him, Lasta min ahlin nar, walakinnaka min ahlil jannah. We tell him, no, you are not a person of the people of the fire. You are among the people of Jannah. Now, he got this glad tiding of Jannah while walking on the earth. But why? When this ayat was revealed, it was obvious what was being said is, don't deliberately raise your voice. Not that the natural voice, the natural voice is the natural voice. But he didn't get into that technicality. He didn't go into that the reasoning that, well, this doesn't apply to me, so I don't need to be bothered bother about it. He still acted on the path of high caution to maintain adab. To maintain adab, he took the path of great caution. What became the end result of that? His extra adab, despite not having done anything disrespectful, but now being very, very cautious and concerned, so he went to this extent and this fear that I must not do anything that is disrespectful. This fear of not doing anything disrespectful and taking this super caution to be respectful. What it brought for him? It brought the glad tiding of Jannah from Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam while walking on this earth. He's still walking on this earth and he got this endorsement that your place in Jannah is booked for you. Now this is the effect of Adab. And Be Adab, disrespect, results in a tremendous loss and deprivation. Ba'adab ba'nasib, be'adab be'nasib, the one who maintains adab, the one who is respectful, maintains the etiquette, he will go far ahead. And the one who is disrespectful will be deprived. Nevertheless, to move on, that one of the things that Allah Ta'ala mentioned in this ayat is, that those who call out to you from behind the rooms, the apartments. Now this is something that's mentioned, by the way, that some people came, they were Bedouins, they didn't know the etiquette, they came and from outside they are shouting to Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, come out to us, we need to talk to you. Whereas this was not the right thing to do, they should have waited, they should have waited for him to come out and then they should have approached him. So Allah Ta'ala cautioned them on this. But the Hujurat are mentioned here. And the Hujurat... This is another whole chapter on its own. The time is very limited to go into this. But just to very briefly touch on it, Atta Khurasani Rahimahullah, he is a Tabi'i and he says, I saw the Hujurat, the apartments. We're calling them apartments in our mind. The word apartment has a specific uh, concept in mind. There's a certain picture comes into mind when you talk about an apartment. Maybe somebody thinks of like a beachfront apartment or something overseeing the sea or something. Now, this is just a word, apartment, the rooms. What were the apartments and the rooms of the Azwadi Mutaharat? So he, he says, I saw it, meaning after time had passed, the Azwadi Mutaharat had passed away, but these rooms were still existing. So he says, Min Jaridin Nakhl. What were the walls? The walls were date palm. In other words, the date palm, the, bar, the trunk of it was all lined up. That created the wall. 
And for the doors was thick wool, sackcloth made of thick wool, black wool. Sackcloth made of black wool was the door. And in some other riwayat it's mentioned that if you raised your hand above your head, you would touch the roof. And if you spread both hands out, you might touch both walls. Now these were the apartments. We're calling them apartments. These were the apartments. And then he says that the letter came from the Khalifa of the time that these apartments are going to be demolished because the masjid has to be expanded. Walid bin Abdul Malik, he sent this letter to the governor of Madinah Munawwara to say that these apartments are going to be demolished in order to make space for the expansion of the masjid of Rasulullah Nata Khurasani Rahimullah says that Mara'aitu Akhtara Bakian min Dalikal Yom. I didn't see more people crying than on that day. People were weeping and sobbing over this destruction that's going to take place. That this, which was the tabarruk of the Azwaja Mutaharat and where they lived and how they lived their lives, this is now going to become effaced. There's nothing going to be left of it. And Sa'id ibn Musayyab Rahimullah. He once expressed his sadness on this and he said, How I wish they had left this as it was. Somebody would grow up tomorrow in Madinah Munawwara. He would see it. Somebody would come from out for ziyarat. They would observe also and they would learn and understand what Nabi Wasallam and his family sufficed on in this dunya. What simple lives they led and how, much they, how little they sufficed on and they went on with life. This would have become very evident for everybody. But unfortunately that became history. That those apartments no more are existing. Nevertheless to take it further. Another very important lesson in this surah. There are many many lessons. But we are just going to touch on some of them. One of the lessons Allah Ta'ala mentioned in this surah. Is That verily the believers are all one brethren. Brothers, brothers here refers to brethren, meaning they are like one family, brothers and sisters. But Allah Ta'ala says that the believers are like one brethren. Therefore, فَأَصْلِحُوا بَيْنَ أَخَوَيْكُمْ Reconcile between your brothers. Meaning if there's a dispute between two people, you reconcile between them. Allah Ta'ala is giving a general command that others should take the initiative to reconcile. Now we spoke about Surah Hujrat, right at the beginning, that this is the blueprint for peaceful social living, peaceful societies. And peaceful societies are made up by peaceful families, peaceful households. So among the very important lessons is this. One is that everybody, every believer is to be treated like a brother. And if everybody is treated like a brother, then we won't deliberately do anything to harm anyone. Despite that, we are human, others are human also. So sometimes, somebody, something got misunderstood, somebody got upset over something, and some dispute occurs between two parties. Somebody didn't fulfill the etiquette, as a result they caused a problem, or sometimes it's a pure misunderstanding. Nevertheless, some disputes occur from time to time. Allah is giving us the command that if some dispute occurs, now you get two types of people. One is you get... Those who are like firemen, that when there is some fire somewhere, they rush to the scene with water. 
And when they rushed to the scene with water, they helped to douse the flames. They helped to extinguish the fire. So they are firemen. They are highly regarded in society. They have a special status among people because they need them. Allah forbid there's a fire somewhere. These are the people that they're going to call on to, to come and now douse that flames. So some are firemen. And then you get some people, when there's a fire, they run along with petrol. Now we might say we never saw that happening. So yes, that might not have happened in day-to-day -day life. Maybe we didn't see it happening. But in a figurative sense, that happens very often. When there's two people, when two people are in some dispute, then you get some who are firemen, who like firemen, that they come along with water. They encourage reconciliation. They encourage forgiveness. They encourage that, let bygones be bygones, let's move on. Yes, if there's some things to claim, some monetary claims, whatever, then they will guide how to go about it correctly, how to go about it in a, in a proper manner, in a, in, a, in a manner that doesn't escalate the problem, but rather reduces the problem. So one is that group of people. Then you get some people who would add, uh, they would add more fuel to the fire. Now two people are in dispute, something happened, one got upset over the other. So now this happens unfortunately, that when there's a dispute between two parties, then each one will now go and relate it to somebody, to their family members or somebody or the, or the other, some other friend. So that person now overheard this or came to know about it. So what the person says, I told you from long time that you want to just join that person. One day you'll see he'll stab you in the back. Now he came, time came now, he's stabbing you in the back. Now how, to what extent that is going to help to douse the fire? That is going to add fuel to the fire. Or we will start even suggesting how to actually take revenge. So now we'll go from one thing to the other. We'll ask what you said. Say, no, I said one, this, this and the other. Say, you said nothing. You should have given him a mouthful. I was you in your place. I would have given her my, a piece of my mind. Now we're saying I would have given her a piece of my mind. It's a very common uh, statement. It's a common expression. I would have given the person a, a piece of my mind. But sometimes some people are dishing out a piece of their mind so often they give one person one piece, another person another piece, a third person one big piece. Now the mind is so small to start off with and they're dishing out pieces to everybody. After a short time, they don't have any pieces left for themselves. A person who's dished out his mind somewhere else gets left. He's a mindless person. A mindless person, what is going to end up doing? Allah forbid. So we don't, dis don't give people a piece of our mind. We keep it for ourselves. Yes, if there's a dispute to be resolved, then we resolve it in an amicable manner, in a correct way. Then this will become a means of good for us and for them. In the Hadith Sharif, Rasulullah has highly extolled these firemen. We're just saying it in our terms. Those who go and reconcile. In one Hadith, Nabi said to the Sahaba, Allah ukhbirukum bi afdala min darajati salati wassiyami wassadaqa. Somebody performs tremendous amount of nabafil, the whole night tahajjud. How many of us can manage that? The whole night tahajjud. Even in Ramzan, we can't manage it. Let alone out of Ramzan. With all the enthusiasm, if it's the last nights of Ramadan, it might be the 25th, 27th night of Ramadan also. But if it's summer and it's a long, uh, if it's winter and it's a long night, that too becomes very difficult to spend the whole night in Ibadat. 
So how many can manage that? Very few. Now somebody is doing that, but so the whole night in ibadat, somebody is fasting the whole year, all the nafil fasts. Every day that is permissible to fast, the whole year is fasting. How many can manage that? Less than a handful. And somebody is giving millions in sadaqah. Nabi Islam is saying, can I tell you something better than all this? Greater in reward, greater in position and status. The Sahaba said, please do tell us, Bala Ya Rasulullah, the one who goes to reconcile between people. He's and currently this one, okay, forget about it. No, no, no. These things happen sometimes. And currently the other one also sees such great rewards for maintaining family ties, for overlooking, for forgiveness, and giving some uh, encouragement, giving some targheeb. Now, doing something on this side, doing something on that side to reconcile between the parties. This is such a great act that Nabi Islam is saying it is greater than that whole night of the Hajjuds for the whole life. And it is greater than that whole year of Nafil fast for the one's whole life. And greater than the billions in Sadaqah. So it seems like outwardly just one of those things. But look at the depth of this, how great it is. We cannot imagine how great it is. Now you get those fortunate souls who take this upon themselves in a correct manner, in a proper manner, in a way that is encouraging without being harsh upon anyone, but they go and try to reconcile. They will make a call here, they will make a call there to reconcile. Allah Ta'ala loves these people in such a way. So therefore Allah Ta'ala says that فَأَسْلِحُوا بَيْنَ أَخَوَيْكُمْ وَاتَّقُوا اللَّهَ لَعَلَّكُمْ تُرْحَمُونَ And fear Allah Ta'ala so that you will be showered with His mercy. This is the last part of the same ayat that all the people, every Muslim is our brother and our sister. So we should treat them accordingly. And what will help us to treat everybody as a brother, as a sister, meaning that we don't harm anyone, we don't mock anyone, etc. We don't create problems for anybody. It's only taqwa. Therefore Allah To the extent we'll adopt taqwa, we will be able to even live with our own family people with peace. But leave taqwa aside, let alone outsiders, we won't be able to live with peace with even those within our four walls. So taqwa is the central ingredient. Taqwa is what binds the hearts all around. And part of that taqwa is to adopt the correct akhlaq. So in any case, this was a very important lesson. Then another one lesson is, here in this ayat Allah Ta'ala says, don't, that if there's a dispute, then reconcile. But now instead of reconciling, sometimes certain things are done which actually aggravate it. And if there is no problem, these things still create a problem. And they create major problems. So Allah Ta'ala gives us a further command. That, Ya ayyuhal amanu, la yashar qawmun min qawmin asa ayyakunu khayran minhum. Wala nisa'un min nisa'in asa ayyakunna khayran minhum. That, O oh, you who believe, no men should ever mock other men. And no woman should ever mock other women. Why? On each occasion Allah says, perhaps the other are better than you. Outwardly you might think you are better, but Allah knows the reality. And you will be in a severe danger if you mock such people. They are better than you in any case. And Allah forbid that you end up someday mocking some close friend of Allah. And when that happens, then you are at war with Allah Ta'ala. As Allah Ta'ala says, مَنْ آذَا لِي وَلِيًّا 
فقد آذنته بالحرب the one who harms or inconveniences or causes some تكليف to my friend then I announce war with him now we just go around mocking this person talking ill of that person doing this and that and the other in the process sometimes we harm they might be looking like a very simple down to earth person might be like a Mr. Nobody but we have no idea what is that person's taluk with Allah Ta'ala it might be somebody who might be some lady just seems to be doing her basics, not doing anything too much extra. She's staying away from whatever Allah Ta'ala is forbidden. And she's apparently just doing her house chores. We don't have any idea what is her taluk with Allah Ta'ala. What kind of love of Allah Ta'ala she has in her heart. And what position and maqam she might have in the court of Allah Ta'ala. Now we went about mocking her and deriding her. She might have smiled about it too and just let it pass. But that hurt that came in the heart, involuntarily, that can destroy somebody. Because that now invites the wrath of Allah Ta'ala. Allah Ta'ala says, I now wage war with such a person who caused this taklif. Then what can save such a person? Allah Ta'ala protect us and save us. So in any case, there are certain things which now aggravate the problem if it's already there. And if there's no problem also, these things create problems. One of those things is what is mentioned here, don't ever mock anybody else. Don't mock anyone. When a person regards himself to be superior, that is when often the mocking starts. He feels he's better than somebody, superior than somebody. So now I'm better, this person is lower, so he mocks him. He rarely ever will mock somebody who he regards as better than himself. So this is another very serious thing. Allah Ta'ala then further says, Don't find fault with yourself. Actually what is being meant is, don't find fault with others. In other words, don't go about to dig out the faults of others. One is something is clear cut, this is wrong, it's wrong. You can't condone a wrong and say the wrong is right. Something is wrong, it's wrong. But you don't know about something, now you have to go and dig out the person's faults. So Allah Ta'ala is saying, don't find your own faults, because you're going to dig out somebody's faults, they're going to dig out your faults. So in a way you dug out your own faults, you exposed your own faults. Something is wrong, it will be wrong, we will distance ourselves from it. But we don't go about to dig out the faults of others. In the Hadith Sharif, Nabi Wasallam says that don't try to expose the faults of people. Something is not known to somebody, you stumbled upon it, or you don't even know about it, you're going to now dig it out. Don't do this. And don't try to bring out their secrets. You don't know about it, you're trying to dig it out. Otherwise, Allah Ta'ala will expose you. And when Allah Ta'ala gets behind exposing somebody, the person can be in the confines of his home also, Allah Ta'ala will disgrace him there. Allah Ta'ala protect us and save us. So we shouldn't be making that as part of our daily routine and daily entertainment to mock people, to try and find fault with people. That's not our job. That is far from what we have to be and further Allah Ta'ala says, Don't call people by uh, hurtful nicknames. Nicknames that they don't appreciate. One is sometimes some person is called by a nickname. It's a nickname in a sense that a pet name or a name the person is commonly called which he doesn't mind in the least bit. We shouldn't take chances in this that we call somebody something and say, no, he doesn't mind. We must be 100% sure about it. Otherwise, we can be sinful for this and can be trampling this command of Allah Ta'ala. Wala bil 
Nevertheless, that ayat continues, but that is another very important lesson. Then further Allah Ta'ala says, Ya ayyuhal ladhina amanu ishtanibu kathiram minal dhan, inna ba'da dhanni ithm. Or you believe, refrain from many suspicions. Some thoughts are sin. That a person harbors suspicion, baseless suspicion about somebody, that is a major sin. One is an involuntary thought. That this person, now you saw somebody maybe coming in a certain manner. So you thought, I don't know what this person's intention is. This person coming with some wrong motive. Now that's an involuntary thought that crossed the mind. You dismissed it, but you wanted to be safe. You made yourself safe, but you did not entertain that further. Astaghfirullah, how could I think like this? What right do I have to think about anybody? But nevertheless, if I want to just now be safe, I'll be safe and there's no problem with that. But to now make that as a belief about the person, that becomes a sin. We don't have any basis for that. There's no basis. We can't make that suspicion as part of our belief about him. And then to speak about it to others, whereas we have no idea. So we should not fall into this matter of suspicions. There are many incidents that took place in the time of Rasulullah where this lesson was highlighted. This is a very serious thing. One should not fall into this kind of thing that one starts harboring suspicions about others. Just to quickly touch on one thing on the lighter side, but just shows us how the suspicions came come about and how people then jump to conclusions and from where to where things go. One lady, her two of her nephews, brothers, two of her nephews, one the elder brother, one the younger brother, both of them suffered a loss. Now she was living far away. She hadn't met them for years. And now this message came. The message came, one brother, his wife passed away. One of the nephews now, his wife passed away. So now this was a very sad thing, obviously. And then another brother, he had a boat. This was maybe his livelihood now. He used to go fishing and this is how he used to earn his living. So now that boat sunk. It was something that he was using for a long time and that boat sunk. Now she might have known about that boat for a long time too. She was very saddened by this too. Now this, she heard now one person, one, he lost his wife. A few weeks later, this other brother, his boat sank. So now she thought, I haven't seen my nephews for seven, eight years also. Let me go and visit them and go and console them too. So now she came. Now in that process, she bichara forgot now whose wife passed away and whose boat sunk. So now she didn't know who she's talking to. So now she came first to the brother whose boat sunk, to the nephew whose boat sunk. And she is thinking that he is the one whose wife passed away. So she came, she met him. Now nobody else is there, so nobody else told her anything. And she started already consoling him in the words that I heard about your loss. Or loss is a general word. I heard about your loss and I'm very sorry about it. Now he is now thinking, now my auntie came from so far away and now she's so sad about my boat. So he is trying to console her. So in order to console her, he's saying to her, Are, don't worry about it, man. It was an old thing now, it's gone. I'll find another one. So this aunt got a shock of her life. Barely two, three weeks now, he lost his wife. And he said, it was an old thing and she's gone now. I'll find another one. She ran out of the house in disgust. And everybody she's meeting, she said, I never saw a more despicable person than him. He lost his, he's talking in this manner. 
But meanwhile, she just jumped to that conclusion. Now this is just, just a, a lesson for us that we didn't ask, we didn't find out properly what's going on, what you're referring to. Now, we just jumped to the conclusion that this person, how can he be so despicable? He's talking about his boat, Bichara, and that too, he's doing it out of just to console the aunt that now she's so sad about it. He doesn't know she thinks that he lost his wife. So, nevertheless, this aspect of suspicions, this is how the suspicions then run. Now, there was a suspicion that this person now is a very uh, disrespectful person, disgusting person in her mind. Now, she started drawing conclusions from it. Likewise, we harbor baseless suspicions. And that baseless suspicion, we then run with it. And then we start drawing conclusions from it. And one thing to another, before we know, we've gone far away from reality. We have harmed others in the process. We have harmed ourselves. So this is also something that we have been warned about, not to get involved in this harboring of suspicion. Then another lesson in this surah also, Allah Ta'ala further says, وَلَا يَغْتَبْ بَعْضُكُمْ بَعْضًا Don't backbite one another. Now, as you said, this whole surah is filled with the lessons that make life peaceful. Now imagine if everybody was living by these principles and by these lessons. Nobody was having suspicions about the other Everybody is there to try and reconcile between people if there's anything. Nobody is adding fuel to the fire. Everybody is there with water to try and sort things out. People are not mocking one another. Nobody is regarding themselves as better as the next. When some baseless thought and suspicion comes, the person is ready to now make some positive interpretation of it and dismiss it. Then nobody is backbiting one another because insan is insan. Someone make a mistake somewhere sometimes. So now when somebody made a mistake, that person is not being spoken ill of behind his back. So how wonderful that society would be, that family would be, that home would be. So Allah is saying, Now this is a major crime, very serious, very severe. In order to make us understand the severity, Allah gives a parable, an example, to show us how severe this is. Allah says, Allah says, does any one of you like to eat the flesh of his dead brother? And any, the, the, the picture that is being put in our minds to understand the severity of the sin. A person has passed away. What happens after that? After a short while, some hours pass, the body starts decomposing. First it starts bloating and then after a while it starts bloating and then it will burst open. And then after bursting open, it starts decomposing. Imagine that body in that state of rigor mortis, they call it, as it's gone bloated and it's terrible stench and it's already rotting, the flesh is rotting on it. Can we imagine somebody going and eating out of that? Such a disgusting scene that is, that somebody even cannot imagine going to eat out of it. Allah Ta'ala is giving us that picture in our minds to relate to the sin of ghibat. That whenever a person thinks about also talking ill of somebody else, this is the picture must come to mind immediately. Now that is a very severe sin that we have to keep ourselves safe from. Once one of the Azwaja Mutaharat, she made a comment about another wife of Rasulullah, a co-wife, and she didn't even say a word, she merely just indicated by means of a gesture. And that gesture, what it meant was, that you're talking about that short one. So now she made that gesture. Nabi, now, but that was done in a negative manner. Now this was a training period 
So Nabi Islam said to her that you have said such a word, Law muzijat bihal bahr lamazajathu. That if this word, this one word had to be uh, dissolved into the ocean, it would contaminate and pollute the entire ocean. The whole ocean would become toxic, poisonous. Imagine the seven oceans. 70% of earth is covered by this ocean, by water. And this one line, this one statement, this one gesture, which translated into a statement of negativity, if that had to be put into the oceans, it will pollute the entire oceans. This is how severe this is. So therefore, these are things that we need to refrain from and avoid these kind of uh, issues that we refrain from rebirth, we refrain from uh, calling people by bad names, nicknames, by we don't mock anybody. All these aspects are things that we need to be conscious about. Then there's one more lesson that we will inshallah quickly wrap on on. Allah Ta'ala says, Ya ayyuhal nasu inna khalaqnaakum min dhakari wa untha wa ja'alnaakum shu'uba wa qaba'ila lita'arafu that oh you who believe, Allah Ta'ala says we created you uh, from a single male and female and then made you into races and tribes so that you may identify one another. The noblest among you is the one who is most fearful of Allah Tabaraka wa Ta'ala, the one who has the greatest taqwa. So we want to be closer to Allah Ta'ala, it doesn't we would not become closer on the basis of what is our nationality, which family we belong to, what is our skin color, what is our language. Those things are not the basis on which we are going to be getting closer to Allah. Ta'ala. We'll get closer to Allah Ta'ala on the basis of taqwa. That is what we need to learn, what we need to adopt. Allah Ta'ala will bless us on that basis. May Allah tabarak wa ta'ala give us a tawfiq that we imbibe all these lessons of deen, we practice upon them. We pass it on to others as well. And inshallah, we will enjoy the peace and the serenity. Others will also enjoy it. Allah Ta'ala give us the tawfiq. Wa akhiru da'wana anil hamdulillahi rabbil alameen. Allahumma laka alhamdu kulluhu wa laka shukru kulluhu. Allahumma la nuhsithana an alayk anta kama asnayta ala nafsik. Jazallahu anna nabiyana muhammadan sallallahu alayhi wa sallam bima huwa ahluh. Allahumma iftah lana bil khair. Wa akhtim lana bil khair. Wa ja'al awaqiba umurina bil khair. Biyadika al khair. Innaka ala kulishin qadir. ربنا تقبل منا إنك أنت السميع العليم واتب علينا يا مولانا إنك أنت التواب الرحيم وصلى الله تعالى على خير خلقه سيدنا محمد وآله وصحبه المعين الحمد لله